Welcome back to the Successful Diligence Podcast. I am so grateful that you are back for another episode. Please do take note that all opinions and recommendations and encouragements that are shared on this podcast are my personal opinion or the opinion of the guests that I have on. It is not to be taken as medical or mental health advice. Please do consult your medical professional or your mental health professional with any questions or changes that you would like to make regarding your own personal situation. Welcome back to the Successful Diligence Podcast. I am so excited that season three is here. I cannot believe we are in season three of the Successful Diligence Podcast. Listeners, I never take you for granted that you show up, that you listen to the podcast, that you share, that you support, that you comment, that you send your voice messages, you send your emails. You are the best audience ever. And that is why I am so excited for tonight's episode, the first one of season three, bringing an epic amazing human being who is going to encourage you, inspire you, motivate you, maybe challenge you as well. And his name is C.L. King. Now he has had a very deep life experience in many different dimensions. After experiencing abuse, neglect, and homelessness as a young child, CL was placed in group homes and foster homes throughout Northeast Ohio, USA. His foster mom, Ruth E. Plowden, told him that he could take all of the tragedies and all of the experiences that he had as a child, and he could use them either to make an excuse or use them to change the world. And after an honorable tour in the United States Marine Corps, CL, his wife, and six of his seven children settled in Eastern North Carolina, USA, and he decided to not implement excuses, but to change the world one person at a time, one moment at a time. And over 3,000 students over the world have benefited from his story and his passionate dynamic delivery. And he continues to be a highly sought after and requested speaker, both in person and virtually. He has distinguished himself as one of North America's most life-changing speakers, and you will understand why after this conversation, trust me. And the one thing that every audience leaves with, no matter the obstacle, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you came from, you can still make it according to C.L. King. Welcome to the show. All right, man. I tell you what, I was just sitting here uh, enjoying hearing all of that because you were delivering it with such dynamics. And thank you so much, Michelle, for taking time out of your schedule to allow me uh, the privilege to tether my connection with yours. And and I really do believe that this is a divine destiny um, on so many fronts. And so I thank you for having me. Listeners, you know, I'm a big believer in providence. There are no accidents. Accidents are co- or coincidences are really just God's purpose that he has chosen to remain anonymous with. And I know that with CL, it is a divine connection. It is a connection in purpose. But more than that, he is such a vessel for encouragement, motivation, wisdom, and really a good kick in the butt (laughs) for you (laughs) to get into action in your life to become the purpose and the destiny that you were created for in God and really to become the best version of yourself. So CL, I'm singing your praises because I'm connected with you now. I'm familiar with you. I have seen you at work and in, you know, live and oh my gosh it is just you walk away so encouraged and energized but for my listeners who are not familiar with you yet tell us a little bit about who you are and a little bit about how you became who you are well listen i i do believe that uh this journey that we're on in life you know if i if you want to go 
fast, I suppose you could go alone. But if you want to go far, you definitely want to go together. And so I, I th I'm thankful that now uh, I've been pre-positioned with people such as yourself, Michelle, and this, this powerful show that you're hosting to help uh, me along my journey. And my hope is that I can help others in your audience uh, in their journey. You know, 40, almost 46 years ago now, uh, born in the bitter cold streets of Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I was born there and I was born in adversity. And, and I, when I say that, I mean, it literally was like almost instantly my life faced so many variances and tragedies. My mother was beaten by my father. She was hospitalized while she was pregnant with me. He beat crutches and broke crutches over her uh, and sent her into early labor. And so that's how <laughs> I got to come into the world in adversity. And that was a struggle. It was big for her. And it obviously was for me trying to understand what the real normal was for a kid in this bitter cold world. And so by the age of three, I was taken away from my mother, Michelle. And that was, I, I mean, I, I, crazy enough, I remember back at three years old and I was put in my first foster home up in Pennsylvania. And I just, all I remember is this big, huge field. It was a bunch of kids there. I think I was the only black kid there. And it was just, it was, it was so surreal wherever I was. And uh, by the time that that transition was set, I got back to Cleveland to live with my grandmother. And my grandmother had me from about four on till nine or 10. And those years you would think would be better because my, my dad was there. My dad was in the picture. He wasn't married to my mother, but my dad was extremely abusive. And he came around and sometimes lived with my grandmother. When I say extremely abusive, I vividly, when I say vividly, I vividly remember closed fist punches to the face, open hand slaps to a kid that I remember one time, this, this is the most vivid memory of abuse I have from him. I had, I was a very nervous child because I was beat all the time. So I had problems, problems with my, with my bowels going to the bathroom and uh, being able to control it. And I remember one time I had had an accident and he had he had filled up the tub and I was supposed to be this was back before washing machines was cool now y'all I was in the tub washing out my underclothes and he had filled up the tub to the point where he came in there upset because now he's a he's a AME ordained minister but he's drunk as a skunk every other day right so he held me down in the tub under the water and I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. This can't be how life is supposed to be. And so I, that was at his house. And that somehow I, I circumnavigated the globe to get back to my grandmother's house. And I don't know if it was that generation, if it was, you know, because there was a lot of, you got to think about who raised them and the generation before them. And so we're just a couple generations removed from, you know, slavery and, and how people behaved. So my grandmother had the same problem. It was just different. Like she would put me outside in the cold, in the garage, the detached garage. And she just put me out there and leave me out there all night with the dogs. And I remember bales of hay around in the garage. And I'm just sitting here, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, thinking, what in the world? Who does this? I was looking outside of myself saying, this cannot be the way it's supposed to be. So I remember my grandmother, uh, as we're talking about how I got to where I am, I'm trying to get there quick. Um, she dropped me off at social services in, in Cleveland, Ohio. And somehow social services said, okay, you're going to go stay with your mother. Your mother is allowed to have you now. So I had to be maybe around 10 years old. I went to stay with my mother and it truly was the most cataclysmic time in my life. It was defined truly by the most cataclysmic events that I can, that any young kid should ever have to experience. What does that mean? You've got me intrigued. What does that mean? The stuff that my sister and I, because my sister Melinda was there with me. She was a couple years older than me. The things that we were exposed to at that age, I'm talking 
sexual molestation. I was in the room when my sister was being molested and I subsequently was molested by people that my mother allowed in the house. Rampant drug abuse and drug addiction. Lights out all the time. No power in the house. Eating in soup kitchens and homeless shelters and walking and Cleveland is not a small town. It's not Mayberry walking from one side of Cleveland to the other to deliver drug money for, for my mom. And we watch, I watched this as a kid thinking, okay, my dad tried to kill me as a Baptist, as a, as a Methodist minister. And here my mom is, has got all of these struggles and all of these, all these things are happening to my, my sister and I, and it just cannot be, we got beat. Uh, when I say we got beat at that place, we got beat bad. And uh, it, to this day, I'm 46 years old. I still have some of the scars from those beatings on my body. How and long so, were you with your mom? Just It wasn't very long. It may be a year or two. Let me tell okay. you how it transitioned. Because that's severe trauma and oh. abuse and neglect. And I mean, that's that's the, the cataclysmic is a word. But yeah. When you can sit in the room and, you know, I'm I'm working on one book that you're going to help me with. <laughs> um, but when you can sit in the room and, and not have, knowing, you know, the full breadth of sexuality and think that it's normal for your sister to be getting molested, thinking that's the way it's supposed to be. And uh, so one day my, my mother, my mother's husband, they called him shaky. He was some, some guy, I don't, I don't know. He was strung out on drugs, but God bless him. He, he was my mother's husband. And um, he went to the soup kitchen and got some food and then came back with a brownie. This is how it all pivoted. Michelle, he came back with a brownie. Now he left that brownie in the refrigerator. I went in late night and snuck it. I was, you could see my ribs. We were so malnutritioned. I went in there and snuck a little corner off the brownie. And it was so good, Michelle. I said, I got to go back and get me another corner of that brownie. <laughs> Cannot resist the chocolatey goodness. <laughs> and you know, I teach a lesson on sin about that, but I'll leave that for another time. So I, I went and finished the, fin I reformed the brownie. I remember reforming it, trying to make it look back like the shape going back. It was so good. I came back, I ate another piece. It was all gone. My mother said, I'm going to beat y'all until someone tells me who ate this brownie. I said in myself and to my sister who did not tell on me, I said, I will not get another beating in this house. Not one more. I, we had pigeons living up in the, you could see the pigeons down in the ground and in the rafters in the house, plaster walls that were unfinished, gapes in the floor in this house. It was, it was a, the absolute, it should be, it should have been condemned. I said, listen, I'm not going to stay here and get beat one more day. Now, here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm leaving. I told my sister, at 11 years old, I walked out the front door. I kissed her that morning, kissed my baby sister who had just been born a couple of weeks ago. And I walked out the front door, left the front door wide open and never returned. Now I survived knowing having had to have street savvy. I survived continuing the lifestyle of going from soup kitchens and sleeping outside. I survived myself for six months. Until the school system, because I would go to school periodically, and they would always give me double breakfasts and double lunches, Michelle, because I was that severely malnutrition. And they said, listen, we got to get this kid out of this situation. Somehow it all came to a head that I was a runaway and I was gone from from my mother. They put me in a group home, the better way group homes in Elyria, Ohio. First group home I was in, the, the I was 12 at that time. I do remember going there at 12. The guys there were 16, 17 years old, 18 years old. Guess what they did to a young 12-year-old? What they know to do probably, which is abusive and violent and, and volatile. Exactly. That's exactly what I was introduced. So every place that I was going in, every dispensation I was trying, I was entering into, every place that I thought was safe was not safe. Mm. And so I was in that group home. Uh, I And then I got placed into a foster home, the second foster home. And uh, I was there for a little bit and circumstances made it to where I couldn't stay there. So they put me back in the better way group homes. Now you're talking about 
I've seen this stuff happen. It's happened to me, violated a young kid. This is stuff back when you didn't tell and you just didn't speak up about it. And, and so here I am bouncing back and forth between these places where people are violating me as a person. And I got placed, I, there was an opportunity for me to get into another foster home. It actually happened to be the mother of the guy whose foster home I was in previously. Her name was Ruth E. Plowden. And Ruth Plowden took me in at maybe 12 and a half, 13. I'm just kind of giving you a general synopsis. And she said, Chris, you can take all of those negative events that happened in your life, the abuse, the drugs, the, the violence, the homelessness, you can take all of that and you can use it as an excuse or you can use it to change the world. And so I know you said 3,000, but it's actually 300,000, over 300,000 people that we have reached. I sure enough did misread that. <laughs> and it's going to be a million. I, that's your goal. <laughs> Without question. Over 300,000 people reached in all corners of the globe with a message of no matter the adversity, you still can make it. And you are a living testament to that. But CL, I you know, so I used to be a clinical social worker. Listeners, you know this. Um, I my expertise was in child welfare, abuse and neglect, and I dealt with the sex abuse, child death, and severe uh, abuse and neglect. That was my my specialty. And in my early years, I dealt specifically with teenagers. So my heart knows and goes out to what you lived through walked through and the journey that you experienced, not knowing what that experience is, because I didn't walk it myself, but as someone who has walked with others, and I don't know that I have um, heard someone come out as strong and healthy-minded as yourself. And so I want to go back a little bit, just because I know that you're an orator and you can break it down <laughs> and share some of the strategies and tips for people who have not experienced that depth and that level of trauma um, and experience, but who also can benefit from the experience, the wisdom and the strategies um, and the knowledge that you extracted from that. So going back, because you know, in utero, you were introduced to negativity, trauma, and hostility, right? So you came out and were birthed into that spirit, into that world. That was what you knew. That was normal, right? As mm -hmm. dimensions of trauma and dimensions of abuse and all of the things that come with that, that not only violate and defile a person, but also change you from the original intent of who you were birth mm -hmm. to be. And so I want to uncover how you were able to tap into the strength of being to be able to say no more on that day, to know that when your father was holding your head under the water, that this is wrong. Because a lot of people who are born into those circumstances, that's just normal. That's what it is. They don't even question it. So what was it that had you even consciously aware that there, this is not right, this is wrong, and that there can be something different? I, that's a great question. What a, what a tremendous mm -hmm. question. And this is why you're such a global sensation, because you know how to phrase questions very good. And so thank you, Michelle. One of the things that I do recall vividly, I remember... Uh, I don't like beanies and weenies very much. I will eat them if that's what's on the table. They know not to put them on the table much here uh, because I, would, I remember eating at that soup kitchen one time. I think it was called Herman's or something like that. I was sitting there and they served you some beanies and weenies and they were burnt. And that's why I can't stand it because that's why I thought, you know, just forged in my mind. And I remember sitting there around all these hairy men and slumped over just like you would imagine big old wood table it was just it, it was the smell the stench and so on and i said man it cannot end like this i thought to myself man all these old people men homeless folks in here and here i am in here and i'm like i this this cannot be the way it is i think god had put in me even throughout all of those times uh, a vision. 
Like I've, I've had a vision of, of, of bigger things. You know, I want to be an astronaut or I want to do, I, I've always held in the back that no one could steal. They could steal, they, you know, they, they could make, bring pain into my life. They could, they could punish me, locking me up in the basement or out in the garage. They could do a lot of physical things to me, but they couldn't take away my vision. And I realized that once I, once I, once I had that and connected with someone that could allow that to manifest and to nurture it, uh, that's what really accelerated things for me. I went from being a nappy head kid from the hood in Cleveland to leading missions trips with a church in a church of 2,500 members. And b- before I ever stepped foot in the Marine Corps. So it was a vision, like even in the contrast of it, like I see this, this is not what I've envisioned for myself. And so, you know, I didn't get a whole lot of training on parenting. Obviously, the parental parental training I got was all terrible, should should never happen. But I do think that was training for me to understand, okay, this is what I am not going to do to my children. Which sometimes is the most powerful lesson to learn. I'm a passionate advocate for leadership because I had such poor leadership in my life, but it taught me what not to do. And, you know, I want to go back because clearly the way that you were fashioned as a person had the seed of resiliency in you. And what's interesting to me is that the, the theory of resiliency says that you it only takes one adult person in a person's life that is a positive influence to change the trajectory of that child's life. And you had that. Um, and what's interesting also to me is that so i'm a person who tried to kill hope in my life actively and i would self-sabotage and try to try to kill hope and god would not allow me to kill hope and what's interesting to me is that despite what they did to you from the outside in that inside out seed that was placed in you before you were formed in your mother's womb was not able to be touched defiled or killed. And that seed was what was growing throughout your childhood to finally stand up in full manhood to say, "Uh uh-uh, this is what I'm going to implement from my superpower of choice for my life. And I love that, that you were in, that you were able to access that. Um, Are there any sort of wisdom nuggets or strategies that you could tell someone who may be struggling with accessing that seed that is already inside of them, but they may not be consciously aware of, but they know I'm alive. I'm still here. So there's got to be some reason for me to be living. Well, I can tell you this. If I look at it, um, if I look at the architecture of that, that question, and maybe we can formulate an answer. One thing that I realized is that location and proximity was important. Okay. There are people who were sitting on the porches with the brown bags at the in the hood when I left 30 years ago. And when I go back periodically to visit the same people sitting on the porch with the same brown bags. My point is, is that that could have very well been me. Okay. So when I liken my life to the sea turtle, it the sea turtle was born in adversity. If it stays on the beach, it will succumb to the predators that are around it, right? So it, it, and what I, what I want, what I encourage people, everyone has a dream. Everyone has a vision. Everyone, every, all of us have giftings. And even if your current environment isn't conducive for those giftings to come alive, I challenge you to keep going toward them. So when you talk about the sea turtle, sea turtle, you see those little, you see those bodies flapping, right? You see them scurrying to the water. Why? Because they're changing locations. They recognize that they can't stay there. That's what, like the little kid in the soup kitchen, C.L. King, before he was, realized that it cannot, I can't stay here. And this is not my final destination. Even though at that time I was homeless, I didn't have anywhere to go. I was wandering the streets. I said, you know what? I, I'm going to find the, tra- the trajectory to get me at least away from here. Now, so you, when reco- you-, you recognize that you didn't fit in that environment. 
it wasn't for me. It, it, that wasn't that wasn't the plan of God. Yeah. And, you know, even even the next environment that you can get to may not be the final destination because only one out of a thousand to two thousand sea turtles will, will even make it uh, to adulthood. So it is a it is a measure of tenacity. But man, continuing to push toward that dream. Now, what you said was actually, I think, the the total nexus to the change was somebody saw that Ruth Plowden and Paul E. Plowden, my foster mom and pops, they saw that and they said, okay, we're not gonna, we're not gonna pick you up and put you in the water, but we're gonna tell you to keep swimming. And every time you see somebody drop off, you ever you see another sea turtle get snatched up by a hawk, what we're telling you is keep swimming. And even when you make it in the water where there's a whole different set of predators. They said, your destiny is this, keep swimming. Don't get your eyes focused on all the negative and the things that are falling apart. And all this, my foster mom didn't allow me to bring my past into the conversation. She said, you're, you're not that Chris King anymore. You've got a totally different destiny. And it was because she nurtured that. She didn't hand it to me now. She was tough. My foster mom was a drill sergeant. She was tough. But she, she said, man, you keep swimming toward that water. So again, getting out of where I was, was important. And then finding someone to help nurture that was also important. That's why we can't do it alone. Now, let me, let me, let me backtrack. Cause what's coming up for me here is that number one, you had to accept her boundaries and, and format. Um, you had to accept that and fall in line. And the second thing that's really interesting to me is that you went into the Marine Corps. And so you responded positively to that discipline, healthy discipline and the boundaries that she provided. But it makes me wonder because, you know, coming from a clinical background, when someone says, you know, you're not able to talk about your past, you're not that person anymore. I understand the, the intent of that comment. I understand the sentiment behind that. But is there not value to also processing and reframing the narrative of what happened to you, which you did, obviously, because you walked that out um, and you eloquently express it. But how did you get to that reframe of that narrative? Because I'm sure it wasn't that way when she said that to you. No, you're right. That's a great question. And, you know, I'm in February the 6th, 1975, which is just a few mere mortal weeks away, I'll be turned in 46 years old. Welcome and, to the club. We'll be the same age until July. <laughs> yeah, I knew that. I kept dropping that because I knew how old you were. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm 46. It's the oil of Olay that keeps me looking young and you know age is a number. <laughs> That's right. Um, I didn't, let's just be, if I can just help your listeners, let me be just totally transparent. Can yes. I just be totally transparent with Please. you? Please, we tell the truth here on the Successful Diligence Podcast. <laughs> good. I haven't been lying thus far, but let me just tell, let me just help you guys out. Because everything that that after Ruth E. Plowden's house on the external would appear to be absolute success. I mean, I traveled to Bailden, England, helped co-lead a missions trip, talked to tens of thousands of people over in England, went into the United States Marine Corps, had an illustrious career, uh, married my high school sweetheart, had six children with her and seven total, uh, settled here in a beautiful uh, expansive ranch and God bless your wife for, for, for giving you those children, <laughs> you know, what I'm saying? but we didn't really deal with some of the dark times that mm. I've had over 26 years of marriage. We never really dealt with it. You know why? Because I've been in leadership. I've been in ministry. I've been asked to teach and lecture and all these kind of things. So you were doing all I was doing was doing, but yet there still there were still some manifestations, not nowhere near like the manifestations of what what I went through, but there were still some struggles, some inner dark struggles that I had, uh, and and I probably still have that we didn't un, we didn't expose. So everybody sees Chris as this tough rock solid cat that everybody calls on to do everything, but in reality, I got my own struggles. And it wasn't until just this year that my wife and I took the journey to go back uh, to 30 years ago. And because she didn't even know some of the things that happened to me. She didn't know I was sexually molested uh, until last year. 
And so you're right. You can you can by doing you can put a good face on it. And 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 I don't think I was a hypocrite or being fake, but I did I never dealt with, you know, I went from going to hell in in a handbasket with my mother and my family to someone guiding me to the direction I needed to go, but then I never got to process it. You're right. We didn't do groups and sit around and talk about it. It was just one of those things. And so I carried those dark elements of my childhood into my marriage. And for those married folks out here who have gone through maybe something similar to what I've went through, I don't have to give you a belabored explanation of what some dark times can be like. And uh, let me just say, I've put my wife through some dark times because we didn't unearth and truly exhaust what I had brought into the marriage. You know, I didn't molest my children. I didn't beat my children. I, no, I mean, but I, the root I, of the tree is still there until you deal with it. And if you're an apple tree and you don't uproot and replant a peach tree, you're still going to produce apples. And I, I want to highlight something here because you're a, a strong black man. And in the black community, up until recently, and I, when I say recently, I mean the last six to 12 months, it has not been a primary source of the conversation for men in general, especially black men, to talk about mental health, emotional trauma, forget right. about sexual trauma, that I mean, unheard of. And I, I honor you for being so transparent and also showing up in your own life for yourself and for your wife regardless of the timeline, because it's, we're all on a journey and there's different seasons and timings. And sometimes it takes that journey to be able to have the courage to face whatever it was or to deal with whatever it was and to process. Um, so I honor you for that. And I wanted, I wanna ask you when you were in the season of doing and becoming, right? Emotionally, did you just put it in the self-conscious and I mean, in the, up, in the unconscious or were you aware of it? But like, I'm not dealing with that right now. Uh, the, the, the dark side of CL King. Yeah. It, it, um, it would manifest in different areas that would, that would cause, uh, you know, stresses and strains in, in my marriage and, you know, to, to not deal with it with my wife, you know, before and, marriage though. So like when you went into yeah. the Marine Corps, did that help you? Because of, there's anger, there's resentment, there's bitterness. There's all of those negative emotions that come that are valid from your experience that I can just imagine would, would come. Right. Was it that structure that you were given from your, your foster mom and pops and, you know, subsequently the Marine Corps and then the doing and the building and all of the things, was that part of what helped you sort of delay the processing? Yeah, keep it together. Absolutely. Because, you know, they say in the Marine Corps, pain is just weakness leaving the body. So you didn't, uh, you didn't, you know, it was just one of those things. I mean, I, I didn't hardly go to even sick call the four years I was in the Marine Corps. It was just, you know, mission first, you know, mission first, troop welfare second. And so that kind of went in line with my, with my foster mom's approach. You know, she was like, Hey, look, you can make excuses or you can change the world. And so when I went in the Marine Corps, that's kind of the way I did. And then right after the Marine, you know, in the Marine Corps getting married, we began, we began leading major ministries and churches uh, at 19, 20 years old. And so it was always about others and helping and building and all that. And so I had that structure. I had that, I had that foundation. I believe God also um, helped keep everything level. Um, but then as, as marriage went on and as time went on, we started seeing more of these little, um, uh, little nicks in the armor. You know what I mean? We started seeing more of these little uh, leaks of, of, you know, the exterior. And it's like, well, wait a minute, you know, you're supposed to be this internationally known, blah, blah, blah. And you got, this is a problem. Yes. You know why it's a problem? Because it's been a problem the whole time. Y'all just didn't know it. Right. And the humanity of who you are peeps through. It's for me, the image that I get, I'm sort of visual sometimes with metaphors, listeners, you, you put up with me so well, but it, it's almost like a balloon. And over the years, the structure allowed little air to hiss out, hiss out. And then it got to the point where this balloon was going to pop in your face if you didn't deal with it. And so um, 
did you, because obviously your mindset is so strong and your self-narrative in terms of attaching the meaning to what happened, you reframed that for a positive and for purpose. How did you do that? Was it through talk therapy? Was it through, you know, releasing it physically from your body? Was it through, I mean, how did you do that? Well, if you're talking about most recently, as opposed to, because I don't think I had a lot of, I don't think I had the absolute victory over it until this year, because I think my wife needed to go on the journey with me. You understand? And so for, for, you know, she looked at me as the rock, the strong husband, the iron man of the house. And, you know, for us to be able to, uh, you know, spiritually walk through the the path that she didn't really know uh this landmines this kind of illuminated for her and and really reshaped our whole marriage you know we've been married uh this is 26 years and you know we're dealing with it in year 25 so uh and and i think because it's an embarrassing topic to talk about you know what I mean? I was just dealing with some men the other night. I had a men's live and one of the men that was on had gone through sexual abuse. And he was talking about the very same thing you're talking about it in the black community. It's not very, it's taboo to bring that kind of stuff up. And so in my, you know, in my world, you know, there's this image church is church is the worst place to expose yourself. Let me just be honest with you. Cause I've been in multiple levels of leadership on top tier levels of leadership. And man, if you expose that you, you have a struggle. Uh, yeah. People, people will forgive you, but they're people and they're human and they will remember. And so, you know, that wasn't necessarily the liberation that I needed to tell everybody in the church, hey, I got this, y'all don't understand, blah, 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 and all these things. This is what precipitated maybe some of my, my humanity and failings. Um, and so with, without, without taking my wife on the journey and saying, listen, honey, let me, let, let's get some, let's get some discussion going and let's really peel back the layers of what is, what happened to your husband. And when she heard this, it was like, okay, our marriage, our relationship all started over because it's like, okay, so now this is why, and this is what you, so now we can go through this together as opposed to you trying to, you know, subvert the truth. Or do it all alone and keep in the doing mode. So there's another level of, of intimacy and dimension of intimacy between the marriage that you now can access together, which is how it's supposed to be. So, uh, you know, I, we could talk forever and I, 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 I've got to have you back on the show because we didn't even get into what you do and how you impact and, you know, the 24-7 and your gear, like all the things that you do now um, and, and who you are showing up in the world as today. So I definitely have to have you back. Um, non-negotiable, you're coming back on. <laughs> you, you won't have to negotiate at all. Just consider it done, Michelle. I love it. I love it. We're in agreement and alignment. I love that. But what really right. strikes me about your story um, and, as, and about you as a person as well, the more I learn about you and hear about you and watch you and, and, and just experience, because you really are an experience. It's more than just watch an event. <laughs> it, it, because I mean, the energy and just who you are and who you show up as in the world is such a gift. And it really is an experience. And listeners, when I encourage you to keep walking and be the best version of yourself and release the gift of who you are, CL, Chris is a, a perfect example of he just shows up as himself and the the gift and the light and the energy that is what he releases to the world that benefits so many people and you have a same unique gifting and talent you just have to access it and tap into it but what really strikes me about your story is the tenacity the resilience the humility the grace and the strength that just shine through your entire journey because it takes a lot of courage to just simply show up every day, mm -hmm. especially with the circumstance and the situations that you had to endure, experience, and journey through. And we all have our own burden to, to carry. You know, in the church world, we all have our cross to bear. We, we all have our own life to live, but there's a purpose if you are able to reframe that narrative and that mindset. And so I just wanna honor you for that. And I wanna ask, 
what are like one or two or three wisdom nuggets that you really want the audience to walk away from this conversation with? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to give you two or, or yeah, let's see, you know, them preachers, they be long with it. Yeah. I'm getting ready to close and they ain't never closing. <laughs> two hours later, you're like, <laughs> you know oh. what I'm saying? They did it 14 <laughs> offerings later, you know, right. uh, but I, I understand being a show host, I will keep, I will employ brevity. Uh, the first thing that I would say to your listeners who, by the way, are, you guys have to be top shelf to be following uh, Michelle, this this um, this success narrative that she's uh, propagating throughout uh, the West and East Coast is really uh, resounding. It's a resounding message that we need to hear. And and for those who will hear me, I want you to know that I want you to connect uh, with Michelle because uh, even just in this short amount of time that we've had, she she has definitely injected more hope and faith than I probably have experienced all week. And that was last week. So we just starting out. So you, you set, you set the bar very high. The first thing I would say is don't be afraid to generate. And when I listen there, you, there's a, that that's all I'm going to say. Don't be afraid to generate. Oftentimes people are holding back on their dreams because of the fear, because of whatever, listen, just begin to generate. When, when there are so much potential now in this world, there are people out there, Michelle, in your audience that are, are authors. There are people out there that are entrepreneurs. There are people out there that are supposed to start churches and they have a fear of what it means to generate. That means that, that, that means now there's a, there's a different standard for me. And there, that now I'm, I'm failure could be looming around the corner. Listen, I, I can tell you from having my vehicles towed away one time when I was behind on payments, it, it, you know what, it's just stuff, but your dream and what's inside of you is what God placed there. But he wants you to make that generation. He wants you to get that thing rolling. And I want you to know in 2021, it couldn't be a better time to generate the energy and the kinetic movement for what you want to do in life. And, and I tell that to young people as well as, as adults, do not be afraid to generate you you there's 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 something in you got a generator and i want to command you and challenge you to make things begin to generate and when you see you know i started this podcast business and the speaking business michelle when i 10 years ago when i started my speaking business i spoke to eight kids that didn't care about a word i said they was lit the head down <laughs> I ate some old, some old gross lunch at some school and nobody introduced me with some, you know, flowing pageantry. Nobody cared about who I was. I wasn't on no marquee and that's okay. I said, I got to generate. I got to make something happen. This is my dream. This is my vision. And nobody's going to generate it for you, ladies and gentlemen. So don't be afraid to generate. The second thing I will say is, is this, in all that we've seen, and I'm not a politician, so I don't, I don't. I, I sometimes dabble in it and I stick my toe in and the water's too hot and I get on pulling out of there because that get ain't my lane. Get back in your lane. Get back you know in what I mean? That ain't my lane. People be trying to get me to do stuff. I'm like, yo, I'm not, I'm just not my thing. But here is what I will tell you. I want you to develop. Y'all ready? I'm giving this to you for free. I want y'all to develop a resistance to resistance. I want you to develop to develop a resistance to resistance. Because guess what? When you begin to generate things, come on, I'm trying to help you. I'm laying it down for you. When you begin to generate things in your life, just like, man, I want to write this book or I want to I start this business or I want to open up my weave shop or whatever it is you want to do, you're going to meet resistance. It, it is it is inevitable, no matter no matter how much you think you got your business plan and your your whiteboard and all your other things, man, you're going to meet resistance. And here's what you need to do. You need to get the vaccine. You need to become resistant to resistance and say, man, I don't care if that door closes. I don't care if that door over there closes. I will find some scrap wood out in the lumber yard and build my own door and walk through it. See, because so many people told me no when I started this business, Michelle. It was resistance everywhere. Who is this CL? Who does they think he is? Let me tell you something. Resistance is, is everywhere. But you got to develop the resistance 
to say, man, I'm stronger than the things that's forcing against me. Come on, somebody. Greater is he that's in you. Yes. In the world. That's your two tips. Thank you so much. And even a resistance to the resistance from within, because yes, it's <laughs> yes. coming from without, but even to the resistance of yourself and mm -hmm. those limiting beliefs and that self-sabotage, developing a resistance and taking a vaccine for the inside resistance as well as the outside. I love that. Ooh, but you got me all fired up. <laughs> do you know I almost quit my podcast at episode 98? I almost said I'm done with this because I have technical problems. You know, the, the struggle with, yeah. <laughs> and I, and I do my show live. So I've had some blunders of shows. I mean, just train wrecks. <laughs> and I'm like, man, forget this. I'm a speaker. I'm not a DJ. I'm not a podcast host. And I read the guys did this teaching because I was ready to just throw in the towel. And he said, don't give up on anything till you've done it a hundred times. And I was like, all right, well, let me get to 99. I got two more. <laughs> got to 100. I was ready to close it out. And then all of a sudden, people from all across the world started contacting me and said, I want to be on your show. How do I get on this thing? Because you're in the right lane. If I had stopped at 99 or 98, I would have never met you. That's true. That's very true because we met in a podcasting group. So that's very true. See? And so... Yeah, I, I, I had to take my own medicine and develop the, a resistance to everything that was working, <laughs> working against me. So, yeah, that that's what I would say to your very, very gracious and uh, amazing listeners. Uh, well, I mean, that th those two things were powerfully profound, and that is not even the, the typical uh, wisdom nuggets that you drop. So I cannot wait to bring you back on. Listeners, I know you are just chomping at the bit. So uh, if my listeners are like, I can't wait till the next episode, I've got to connect with him. I've got to get more. I need to hear him, see him, connect with him. Where can people find you? Man, it's so simple. It's just clkingspeaker.com clkingspeaker.com and from there you can con you can link to everything that we have facebook instagram we're all over the social media but I, the podcast we, as well the podcast is linked there as well and we've got we've got a podcast that we are going to have you on uh, february the 2nd four days before my birthday and, <laughs> and so we're looking forward to that we're going to do that in the live environment michelle so it's going to be off the hook so that's going to be epic <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah clkingspeaker.com and of course we do uh professional speaking for you know churches uh, youth groups uh, schools, community centers, organizations of all different types and makes and models. So maybe next time when we get together, I can elaborate a little more on that stuff. And virtual yeah. events as well. Yeah, we'll get more into the detail about wh what you do, but this was really to introduce you to my audience for who you are. And so I'm just so grateful that we have connected in purpose and that we are connected in purpose, that you will be coming back to share more and um, that we could coordinate all this because we're in different time zones and all the things. I'm just so grateful for you thank you so much for coming on tonight well god bless you and thank you for having me i appreciate it and listeners as i always say keep walking always always keep walking because if you continue to walk you will reach your destiny you will reach your destination you will arrive at your purpose and on the journey i encourage you to always always choose gratitude Tickets are on sale now for the Tap Into Your Personal Power one-day conference, completely virtual, online. It is happening on February 6, 2021, one-day conference where you are going to learn how to show up in the world in truth, aligned with your values, how to be brave and unapologetically you when you show up in the world. And it's not just the concepts that we're going to dig into. We're going to cover applicable strategies on how to accomplish this and also how to be true to yourself and understand who you are. You are going to hear throughout the day from international speakers who share their journey, their hard-earned lessons and wisdom nuggets and knowledge, so that at the end of the day, you will walk away with tangible information, resources, strategies, and yes, some goodies too that we've got in store for you. You will be inspired and motivated and equipped to move 
forward towards the life that you know you want to be living and you want to get up for on a Monday morning. Our keynote speaker, you've heard her voice before. She is a phenomenal human being. Her name is Tiffany Johnson. She is an international inspirational speaker, author, podcast host, and she has been on on the podcast before sharing her experience of surviving the 1999 Swiss Canyon, um, disaster, the the phenomenal event that happened. And she just captivates everybody that she talks to with her humor, her honesty, her resilience, the story of survival and strength. She's just incredible. You're going to love her keynote address. We also have Michelle Anhang who's coming. You've heard her voice before on the podcast in season two as well. She's an international speaker, certified life coach, and she's going to be talking about from shame to sovereignty and self-love. And she's just an incredible woman with such a story. And she navigated herself through stigma and shame, her own mental health challenges. And so she has got phenomenal insight for you. Um, And then we also have Joel Hawbaker. He's been on this podcast three, four times. I can't even count. He is just a phenomenal human being. He's a blended family coach, award-winning teacher, author, speaker, frequent podcast uh, guest. I think he's been on over 100 podcasts um, over the past 12 months. And he's going to be talking about healthy relationships using universal principles for relationships that you can apply to any and every relationship in your life. He's also a published author, uh, number one uh, seller on Amazon, and is just an incredible human being. And we have a new speaker who's been added to the lineup, and she is just amazing. Her name is Heidi Sawyer. You've heard her on the podcast as well in season two. She's just incredible. She is a certified coach for heart-centered women who want to grow and become the people that they are supposed to be for the impact that they can deliver to the world. And her expertise is helping you find confidence, get clear-minded, and she uses science-based methods to help rewire your mindset and break through limiting beliefs and self-sabotage so you can get into action and live a life that you want to be living. This day, this conference is going to be absolutely phenomenal. I will be there as well as your host and MC. I'll probably get in some wisdom nuggets myself, um, you know, with my signature talk of paying attention and accessing self-care and all of the things that I talk about on the show that you already know, but you don't want to miss this event. Trust me. Go to successfuldiligence.site. Register for your ticket today. February 6, 2021. Get your get your tickets now. Get them early. And there's different levels as well because there's different goodies and freebies that you get with the different levels. So check it out. Successfuldiligence.site. There will be a link in the show notes as well. And I am looking forward to seeing you there. <laughs> Oh, you know, my, oh, you know, my, oh, you know, my.